Wouldn't it be better if you put her someplace? You mean an institution? A madhouse? You just found the marble in the oatmeal. You're a lucky, lucky, lucky little boy. Do you know why? You get the drink from the fire hose! Okay, you ready? Open wide! I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! Hey, you want to see crazy? I'll tell you. You really are crazy. I don't get it, Doc. I mean, how can all this be happening? It's like we're in hell or something. No, it's Hill Valley, although I can't imagine hell being much worse. Now you want to get nuts? Hello and welcome to Movie Madhouse, a podcast about films lost to the annals of time. I'm Travis Fishburne. And I'm Alex Brunel. And this week we will be covering Spaced Invaders. Yes, the 1990... <laughs> independent come disney release Mm -hmm. uh by patrick reed johnson and co this is a this movie's a huge team effort and uh we've got some stuff to say about this movie i think yeah this movie's been this movie's been uh a favorite of mine for a really long time uh definitely since i was a kid i've revisited it a number of times um in my life most recently i think was about 11 years ago and I was reminded on my time hop uh, a couple days before our show last week where I had successively tweeted about to watch Spaced Invaders in 2009 hope it's still great and then tweeted two, two hours later yep still great <laughs> uh, and 2020 me agrees um, so we'll get into that I'm looking forward yeah. but we do we do have some we do have some uh, top of the top of the news yeah. Crap. Crap. Important news. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so, we, yeah. we, were, we were waiting for it. We were wanting some more Snyder Cut news, and we got it. We got it. Yeah. We have a teaser trailer. DC Fandom happened over the weekend, and so we got a bunch of new trailers. Including, including a Batman trailer makes no sense. Yes. <laughs> but including the Snyder Cut trailer, uh, complete with uh, unfinished visual effects and scored with Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, which oh Zack Snyder cannot put down. Oh my God, dude. Okay, so uh, before, before I get into my thoughts on the trailer, which are just that it's bad. Really, that's that's my that's the only thing. Is like, who is this movie for? I guess for all these people that keep yelling on Twitter about it. Release the f-ing Snyder Cut, baby! But um, I'm gonna actually the I think my favorite little kind of bubble synopsis of, of a good reaction to this trailer is uh, our our old friend Max Eberly, Travis, uh, posted when the trailer came out. The Snyder Cut looks Snydery. This is not a compliment. Um, and a person, a human being named, uh, by the Facebook name Billion Bohem, uh, made a couple of very insightful comments. Number one, uh, looks like it was made by a 13-year-old boy who likes swords, explosions, and iMovie. Regard- uh, regarding Hallelujah, Hallelujah, at this point, I think it's just the only song he knows most of the words to. 
uh, with the other note is the other note, and this is I have to I have to credit Billiam for this because I'm going to steal this for life when I'm describing Zack Snyder. Snyder has always been Michael Bay without the self awareness. Oh yeah, I and that. I cannot disagree. Um, wow, the Snyder Cut trailer looks so dumb and there's a really good article on slash film that kind of better encapsulates feelings i have about the trailer written into a nice article where like snyder during his q a which was a weird q a uh apparently it was like he had video of the cast asking him questions which then he answered uh to just talk more about whatever and according to him uh cyborg is quote the heart of this movie now where the whoever wrote the slash film article described Cyborg as barely a character in the theatrical cut, which, you know what? I don't even remember Cyborg in that movie, and I've seen it, so I would have to agree with barely a character. So I'll be very interested to see if barely a character actually gets elevated to heart of the movie here. Yeah, um, that would be interesting. Uh, was, there were some complaints about that from the, uh, the actor who played Cyborg. Uh, oh, yeah? And his experience with Joss Whedon and and how much his role got cut down. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's some controversy surrounding that. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, is there an explanation as to why that trailer was in 4-3? No, I thought that when I was pulling that image, I'm like, wait, why does this look like this? Yeah, the, uh, whole, the whole trailer is in 4x3, like, old-school, full-frame. Yeah, it's to remind you, this is going to be on TV. And it's going to be four <laughs> hours broken up into four parts. Yeah. Which... At least you don't have to watch it all at once. I would kind of prefer to. I don't want to, like, stretch out this experience and have my brain dwell on it over the course of, like, days. I want to just deal with it. Um, which I will be doing. I, I There's... there's Every so often I will watch a movie that I, from the outset, I know that I won't like, and I'm not even going to try to like. I just need to see it for whatever reason. I mean, uh, that's how I was with the, the theatrical cut of this film. <laughs> yeah, no, same. Uh, I think a recent one of that for me is uh, probably Guy Ritchie's Aladdin, which I've complained mm. about on this show before. Uh, soulless, awful film. Yeah. Um, anyway, the Snyder Cut is unfortunately real. Uh, people are unfortunately excited about it. If people are excited about it, uh, that's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sarah was asking me while we're watching. She's like, is this for a video game? Because of how <laughs> bad the special effects still look at this point. They do look bad. Um, and, but you know what, dude? I, I would wager that they are not going to look that much better by the time the movie comes out. Yeah. Uh, it's going to better. just look like this, like just like hot garbage candy nonsense mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry yeah i just i was so bad i i had heard prior to seeing it that they were gonna that like a leonard cohen song was being used i'm like oh interesting he's using him again and then as soon as the trailer started i was like i can't believe he's using this <laughs> song again i couldn't believe it i could not believe it and then you know, I'd even say, I think I think Alex Winter, uh, Bill S. Preston Esquire, tweeted like, "We must retire the use of Hallelujah in all film." Yeah. That was like he didn't quote, he didn't talk about the Snyder cut, didn't say anything, just said we must retire this song. Hallelujah. Uh, yeah. 
We have, but the other info out of DC fandom mm-hmm. is is we this got, other image you yeah. sent. Well, we also got like a Wonder Woman eighty four trailer, which looks good. Got the cast in that. I'm very excited about. You know, discussed briefly the Batman trailer. Yeah, and then uh, we also we've got an image here of what's going to be the best uh, DCEU movie of all time. <laughs> it's got to be, right? We can't have a James Gunn movie in the DCEU and not have it be the best one, right? Yeah. So we got some images from The Suicide Squad, which is like the only DCEU movie I've ever been like legitimately excited for. Yeah. I'm, I'm reserving ex- excitement, but uh, I am interested, whereas mm-hmm. I am not about almost all other DC films. Although I am actually very interested in The Flash, Oh, yeah. Um, we got info about that, too. <laughs> yeah, we did. Because uh, we learned we learned a while ago that Michael Keaton will be reprising his role as Batman in The mm-hmm. Flash because it's going to be dealing with alternate timelines and whatnot. Uh, but we learned this past weekend that Batfleck will yes. also be in the film. Uh, Into the Batverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's have all the Batmans. I would love all the Batmans. Oh my gosh! If they got George the Clooney, <laughs> oh, that would be so and great. Val I, Kilmer. Oh Val, oh Val. I wonder how he's doing right now. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that'll be interesting. I, I, for for better or worse, I kind of liked Batfleck. Oh, and, me too. I was, I, I was really excited when it was announced he was going to be Batman. I'm like, yeah. Oh. I'm I'm very excited about an older, you know, Affleck Batman. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. Uh, I, I I liked him in that because it was very comic booky his his portrayal of Batman. I I liked it. I didn't necessarily think it, any of it was very good, but I liked it. Yeah, I li- I I I actually didn't hate the long cut of Batman v Superman: colon, Dawn of Justice, mm-hmm. um, which I did sit through the long version of that. Um, I think that's the only version of that I've seen. I only heard that it's better, but it's also the thing of like Zack Snyder, like you can't just like make a three hour movie and say like, it's only good if it's three hours and like, yeah, that's, that's a rise of Skywalker complaint. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So there's our, our Snyder cut news for the week. Yeah. That's, that's our, that's our DC news brief because they, uh, Lord help them, they keep trying. Yeah. Um, oh, I'd so, also watch Aquaman too. I liked Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I keep hearing, I mean, I still need to see the first one, but I <laughs> keep hearing James Wan saying that he's going to bring more horror elements into the second yeah. one as well. And like, I also feel like this, I also feel like a weird affinity toward James Wan movies, even if I don't like all of them, because like, I always, I like the first Saw movie very much. I think that was a very good mm-hmm. little movie. Uh, it holds a special place for me and, um, and yeah, I, I've, I've just been very interested to see James Wan get to the position he's in now from, from where he started. Um, I, I love the conjuring so much. Conjuring is really great. Yeah. The conjuring is so crazy because it's rated R, right? Yeah. It's rated R for no other reason than it's just like super intense. Nobody dies in that movie. No, it's just very heavy. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and ratings are so silly anyway. I rewatched uh, Alien vs. Predator yesterday for the first time in a number mm-hmm. of years. And by the way, I think that's, I'm not going to say great movie, but I like that movie a lot. Anybody who doesn't like Alien vs. Predator, the first one from 2004, I don't know what you are hoping for out of an Alien vs. Predator movie, because that is a dumb idea on its face, and we got a fun movie out of it with good Alien on Predator action, and I think that was honestly the best we could have hoped for. And Predator teaming up with human action. Yeah! It was fun! It was weird! (laughs) Uh, the production design was super cool, but this isn't a podcast about AVP. This is a podcast about Space Invaders today. Yes. So let's let's talk about that, shall we? In which a character dresses up like one of the aliens from Alien and Alien. Yes. <laughs> yeah, does. Um, the plot synopsis per IMDb is a little unclear, so I'll clarify after I read it. But dim-witted Martians drop into a little Illinois town on the day the local radio station happens to rebroadcast Orson Welles' 1938 War of the Worlds. And while it's basically true, the gist of it is, it's Halloween in Big Bean, Illinois. Our hero aliens are kind of just orbiting in their ship around Mars. They know there's an, their, their armada is atta- making an attack somewhere. They don't know where it is. Uh, they put out like their little antenna to try to get a transmission to figure out what's going on. They happen to pick up this War of the Worlds broadcast from Big Bean, Illinois, and think, oh, we're invading Earth. We have to go. This is happening now. We're missing it. And so then they go to Earth based on the the fact that of this radio broadcast playing, and they just misinterpret that as an actual attack. Um, And I'm going to also quote here uh, part of Roger Ebert's review of this movie, which I I could not disagree more with in like a fundamental way. Uh, All respect to Roger Ebert, I don't agree with him very often. Uh, He said, Maybe I've lost touch with silly, brainless entertainment like this. Let's hope so. One of the purposes of growing up and getting an education is to learn why movies like Spaced Invaders are a waste of time. Oh. (laughs) Wow. I could not disagree with that harder, actually. Um, I think it's... Number one, I think it's legitimately really funny. I, I I laugh throughout the movie. Um, I think the performances are generally very, very charming. And mm-hmm. the effects work is like, for the obvious low budgetness of the movie, the effects work is amazing. I th- yeah, I, I was so impressed and not prepared for how good it looked. Yeah. So you had never seen it before. You and Sarah had never seen it before. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I... I loved the the performances of the the little characters, um, their voices. Even though it just brought up so many questions for me, <laughs> I'm like, what? why are they okay? Why are they talking like this? And why do they have so much Earth culture? Um, yeah, they're, they they Blasney's wearing a Lakers T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> another one's wearing like a Letterman's jacket. Uh, Earth slang. They sing a version of uh, where the buffalo roam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with Martian lyrics. Yeah. Uh, So like putting all that aside, I still, I I quite enjoyed that. Uh, I enjoyed the, the robot (laughs) man that they used. Uh, What's the character's Uh, name? Oh, uh, uh, Vern. Vern. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Vern droid. (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> I was I didn't know if you were talking about Vern or uh, who's dressed up as Zorro in the movie. If you, if uh, that was one little criticism I had with the movie is like you know it's not always the easiest to pick up on characters' names mm-hmm. uh, throughout the course of the movie. But that was Vern. He's dressed up as Zorro in the movie. But I didn't know if you were referring to him or the little orb droid, the little BB seven and a half. Uh, short stuff. <laughs> short stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's hard to uh, keep track of all the characters' names. I also really enjoyed uh, Clumbecker, the yeah, <laughs> his performance. <laughs> yep. Uh. Um, and uh, it just performances. Uh, I think my favorite out of the entire cast is little J.J. Anderson, who pray, who plays the little boy dressed as a duck. Mm-hmm. Um. I think he's hysterical. I think every one of his like joke deliveries it just knocks it out of the park, and he's got this—he commits to that lisp so well. Yeah. Um, I I love it. Um, and you know, Sarah and I were both like, we're we're never seeing this boy's actual face. We're, no. we're just gonna see him as a duck the whole movie. So we were very surprised when we actually saw his face at the end. <laughs> yeah, he slowly gets rid of the costume. Uh, and you can culminated. tell... Like, oh, you keep going. No, no, go ahead. And in some shots, like, you can see, like, past the mask a little bit, and you're like, he's doing some crazy things with his face. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, what he what he's like, he has to run at one point and has to take off his his uh, fake feet that he's wearing and goes, forgive me, mother. I have to throw away my fins. I'll make it up to you someday. Somehow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There was that that he did. I love this kid. Um, So there's not a a huge ton of background information on this movie available online, but there was recently released by Kino Lorber a special edition Blu-ray that featured a newly recorded commentary track by writer, their co-writer and director Patrick Reed Johnson, co-writer Scott Lawrence Alexander, co-editor Seth Graven, and second unit director and DP uh, and second unit DP Scott Andrew Ressler. Um, so I did power listen to that today. I time compressed it so I could listen to it in about an hour. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> and. Uh, and I did get some fun info out of that. Um, and so, and just to talk about Patrick Reed Johnson briefly, uh, the guy who made this movie, he has a background in special effects. He kind of grew up around special effects. Uh, Star Wars nerds, as we mentioned last week, will maybe perhaps know that he directed this film, 52577. Um, very few Star Wars nerds have actually seen. Very few. Uh <laughs> And he, Patrick Reed Johnson first saw Star Wars during spring break in 1977, sometime between late March and early April when, they were, when ILM was scrambling to complete VFX shots. So he knew people within ILM and got to see Star Wars early that way. He had also finished, um, he, had also, uh, he had also visited uh, the set of Close Encounters of, of the Third Kind um, for a few days and got to see... Douglas Trumbull's uh, special effects work up close and personal and stuff like this. So that that is absolutely the background that Patrick Reed Johnson is coming from, and that is solely why, and like him knowing these people and being in that world is why the incredible John Knoll was the visual effects supervisor on this film. And of course we know now John Knoll has been kind of like the senior management at ILM for like 25 years. 
or something. Yeah. Um, like a really long time. He started on with Star Wars. He started on the special editions, but he was a supervisor for VFX and the special editions, all the prequels, all the new movies. Mm-hmm. Currently working on the Mandalorian, also worked on like the warp effect for next gen. That was yeah. John Knoll. I didn't know that. Um, worked on Willow, Mission Impossible, Deep Blue Sea, the whole Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, like Avatar, Super Eight, all these movies. Aquaman. So, yeah. and John he was a uh, guy who came up with the idea for Rogue One. Yes. Yes, also John Knoll. Uh, so, and that's, made Photoshop. That's a, yeah, that's a note I have too. I did not know that he and his brother Tom wrote the original software for Photoshop. Yeah, that is madness to me. So I think it's fair to say that whether you know it or not, your life has probably been influenced by the work of John Knoll. Yeah. Um, what a slacker. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so here's what I got in terms of background info on the movie. The original title was Martians, meaning the, the word Martians with three exclamation points. Um, the first date of shooting was actually October 31st, 1988, the real 50th anniversary of the War of the Worlds broadcast. Um, John Knoll had 200 visual effects shots to do and a, an operating budget of $183,000 with wow. which to do that. Uh, the budget for the movie was originally 1.75. That's how, that was their original production budget. After Disney picked it up, the final budget wound up being closer to 2.2. It uh, was shot over the course of 30 shooting days. Uh, it wasn't produced by Disney. It was independently produced, and Buena Vista later picked it up for distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, or Touchstone, rather. I was very surprised yeah. watching the end credits, seeing the the Touchstone, you know, had yeah. released. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, so Disney passed on the script because uh, Patrick Ray Johnson and the team uh, brought the script to Disney and said, how much do you need to make this movie? And Johnson said, $2 million. Disney was like, that, you can, that is not possible. You, this movie costs at least $20 million, and we will not produce this for $20 million. So we're sorry, but no. Then he goes away, shoots the movie for less than $2 million, comes back, and then Disney buys it, uh, releases it, they make $20 million back domestically at the box office, and that was before international release and before uh, VHS sell-through, which was an early it was, was early in the day of direct market VHS, because in the 80s and into the early 90s, a lot of VHS releases were specifically priced for the rental market and not ownership. But Spaced Invaders was a sell-through title uh, priced for to own. Uh, so the movie made back, you know, a thousand times its money, and it the VHS sell-through was so popular that in Disney's stockholders report that year, uh, it led to a Disney exec remarking, we should be making more movies like this. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Almost all of the visual effects in the movie are done in camera somehow, whether they be miniature shots or forced perspective or any any kinds of weird combination, Mm -hmm. large scale effects and stuff. Almost all of it is done in camera. there was, uh, there was some stuff where, like, there would be a miniature hanging in the foreground to make something in the back appear, you know, to, to make that appear huge, uh, mingling with the rest of a set. Uh, it's a lot of when they're shooting with the cornfields in the backgrounds, um, like, on the street shots, cornfields in the backgrounds, 
That's all on a stage because they couldn't really work with the kids doing night shooting. That would have been very difficult. Yes. So what they did is they constructed a miniature of the cornfield, put it up at an angle, and forced the perspective as if they're in this huge field, but really they're just on a 10-foot soundstage. Um, other stuff like uh, the wide shot of the radio station is a miniature with a photo of the actual building pasted onto the model of the building. Um, <laughs> I don't know if, if you noticed, but I, I noticed, I thought it was great. Like you'll see uh, these like w- really cool, like wide, wide, like ultra wide panoramic shots mm-hmm. of just a car driving through the country road. Those are all miniatures. Yeah, I, I uh, noticed that right away. I was like, whoa, that was just a miniature shot. Yeah. Uh, love, love all of it. I love how all of it looks. Um, one of the things, uh, what was this? Uh, the, the farmzoid at the end, the big, the big evil robot that Verndroid makes, mm-hmm. or the, the distraction as it is at the end of the movie. Um, there's the shot where the track, where the tractor part is supposed to, it looks like it's rising up, right? It looks like it's huge and it's rising up. They couldn't lift that tractor. So what they did was the building behind the tractor, they had the roof section and they lowered the roof section oh. to make it look and just tilt and move the camera to make it look like the farmzoid was rising. Um, and like a lot of the farmzoid sequence was shot by two people or like all the like miniature shots of it where uh, wrestler uh was num- operating the camera with one hand and using cans of compressed air in the other hand to make the the fans spin on it, and another guy, uh, what's his name, uh, Mark Sicoli, uh, was pumping talcum powder through hoses to make it look like smoke was pouring out of it. Um, what's some other stuff? It was shot in Altadena, California. Wrenchmuller, uh, the old man, uh, who I love in this movie, uh, Royal Dano. Uh, I mm-hmm. think is a lot of fun in this movie. And he plays basically the same character that he plays in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Um, but that character was originally going to be DeForest Kelly. Oh. And DeForest Kelly agreed to do it. And he was going to do it, but then Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country happened and he had to back out. Oh, I mean, so, I guess. Yep. <laughs> oh. Uh... <laughs> I'm just imagining a world where he like <laughs> gets locked into this movie and then they have to kill <laughs> off bones and <laughs> not show him. <laughs> oh, that would have been so funny. Uh, but that also, specifically, that's why the dog's name was Jim. So oh. DeForest Kelly could keep yelling at Jim. Damn it, Jim. <laughs> yep. Damn it, Jim. What the hell is the matter with you? Yep. Wow. Uh and I love that dog in the movie. I don't know if you if you noticed, but that dog is an excellent dog performer. Um, that dog, like, he does cues so well in the movie. And there's like these little jokes that you don't really, they, I don't think they hit very well, but if you're really looking for them, you pick up on them. The dog lets himself out of the car pretty early on oh, in the movie. interesting. Like, Wrenchmuller gets out of the car and then he's walking away. The other door opens and then the dog comes out. He opened his own door. There's another part where off camera it kind of implies that he knows how to use the little point-and-shoot camera that Wrenchmuller has. Wow. Um, yeah. um, while we're on the DeForest Kelly thing, oh, yeah. I've just Feel got free a, to stop a me at any point. anecdote. I got a phone call from DeForest Kelly at work like a year or so ago. What? <laughs> 
not that one. But okay, because that doesn't make sense because he's, he's not he's with us anymore, yes. right? <laughs> yep. But, you know, on the, the caller ID at work, you know, I just took somebody's call and it said, like, you know, it says, like, Kelly, you know, comma, DeForest. I'm like, that's weird. And so when I'm, I'm taking the note from this guy, I ask, like, his name to clarify. I'm like, eh, and then who is this? And he's like, it's first name DeForest, last name Kelly. And I'm like, like, like the Star Trek actor. He's like, yeah. <laughs> he never explained it. But I'm like, because I'm like, that that is... That is too a specific of a name for that, his parents not to have done that on purpose. That's very weird. And you know what, dude? Uh, if I can re if if my memory is correct, uh, for ten years ago, I seem to remember a moment when I was working at the front desk at the Andy Warhol Museum, and the phone rang, and caller ID said DeForest Kelly, and I was very confused. Wow. <laughs> I wonder if your DeForest Kelly called uh, my former workplace ten years ago. Maybe. How many DeForest Kellys are there? There can't be that many. Cannot be that many. Who names any kid DeForest? <laughs> I'm a doctor, not an escalator. Spock, give me a hand. Yeah. Cannot answer. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What other what other tidbits do I have here? Oh yeah. So there are a few composite shots in the movie. They're kind of obvious because the composite shots don't look great. And mm-hmm. they look kind of cheaply done with a lot of dirt baked into it, which makes sense. Uh, but when the ship blows up at the beginning of the movie, those explosions were stolen from Empire of the Sun. John oh, Noel just interesting. took the same elements that were used and created for Empire of the Sun and reused them in Spaced Invaders. Um, the actors wearing the alien suits couldn't really see anything or hear anything. Uh, the motors in the heads would drown out almost anything they could hear, and the only way they had to see were angles or mirrors mounted at 45 degree angles in the mouth, uh, mm. which basically led to them not being able to see at all. So they were only directed by Patrick Reed Johnson shouting very loud, turn right, left, straight, and such. Wow. They could not <laughs> wire anything in their heads so that they could... Uh... <laughs> Apparently not, man. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you know, miniaturized wireless video transmission was really there yet on a sub two million dollar budget in the late eighties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Patrick Reed Johnson kind of feels like Invader Zim ganked some aspects of alien traits for for their show from this movie. And and upon hearing that comparison, I kind of can't disagree. I think there's there's some t- stylistic overlap between our alien characters in this movie and Invader Zim. Mm-hmm. Um, they were lent a projection system. It was a front projection, projection system for projecting onto black. Uh, again, this was part of simulating uh, exterior night shoots on a soundstage. And that projection system was lent directly from visual effects master Douglas Trumbull. And it was the same projection system used on Silent Running. Um, and that's why Trumbull has a special thanks in the credits at the end. Nice. Um, so uh, Johnson was not in Spielberg's camp, but at least was associated, at least like was socially associated with Spielberg mm-hmm. at the time. And Spielberg was an early, um, I don't want to support her, but saw the movie early, very, on, or very early on. Uh, 
relatively, and his first reaction to the movie was, who is she? Regarding Ariana Richards, who he would cast in Jurassic Park two years later. So I think we have uh, this movie to thank for her presence in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Who knows who it would have been otherwise? Who knows? Um, so this one, this is actually really interesting too. This is the last bit of like behind the scenes info I have. The movie was temp scored with Andrew Lloyd Webber's variations on a theme by Paganini album. Um, and that's what Johnson actually wanted to use as the score for the film. Uh, so he wrote to Andrew Lloyd Webber to attempt to license the music. And to his surprise, he got a response from Andrew Webber. Lloyd writes, uh, or Andrew Lloyd Webber, right? Yeah, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber's lawyer saying they could license the music for the film, something Webber had never allowed for a project that he didn't compose the music directly for. Wow. Um, it, it was going to be the first instance of uh, Webber's music being licensed and used heavily for a thing it was not originally intended for. Um, Webber signed off on that and agreed to license the music for $30,000. The producer, uh, the producer, Luigi Singolani, uh, Singolani? Italian last name? I'm sorry. Uh, balked and was like, no, I'm not paying that. I can get a better score for cheaper. And then we got the score that we have now by David E. Russo, which I think is a fantastic score. I love the score in this movie, but it was almost an Andrew Lloyd Webber score. Wow, that's um, crazy. <laughs> so yeah, also, that's what I that's what I got on the background of this movie. Yeah. David Iruso. I looked it up because I'm like that name just seems familiar. And then I looked at his credits and I'm like, I've not seen a single thing that he's worked on. Yeah, he's done other he's done other uh, Patrick Reed Johnson movies uh, like Angus. He did Angus. He also did the score for The Hottie and the Naughty and the Nikita TV series, and also the part of the DC TV universe now, Gotham, and mm -hmm. he also is doing the score for Pennyworth, which yeah. I forgot was a show. I forgot that young Al I forgot there was a young Alfred show. Yeah. Um, Don't forget that other Gotham show that's coming to HBO. Have you heard about that? One? Yeah. We should have talked about that in the DC stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's going to be connected directly to the new Batman movie. Is Jeffrey? Is it? Is it a Jeffrey Wright show? I think it's going to be a lot of Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. So is Jeffrey Wright going to be the, like a big part of two shows on HBO simultaneously? Possibly. That's fine. I, love I didn't Jeffrey think about Wright. that. Yeah. Mm. They're using the right stuff there. The right stuff. <laughs> nice. Um. So yeah, that's kind of what I got. I mean, also I forgot to mention with Patrick Reed Johnson. In addition to 52577, he also directed, uh, he wrote Dragonheart, actually, mm. uh, which I kind of want to revisit Dragonheart. He also directed Angus, and he directed the movie Baby's Day Out. Uh, yes. And as I was reading, to mention Roger Ebert again, and this is just me uh, parroting uh, the Wikipedia article here for Baby's Day Out, the film was tremendously popular in India. It was played in the largest theater. We're talking about Baby's Day Out here. Mm -hmm. It was played in the largest theater in Calcutta for over a year. Uh, <laughs> over a year. Recalling a trip to Calcutta, Roger Ebert said, I asked if Star Wars had been their most successful American film. No, I was told. It was Baby's Day Out. Uh, and in India, it has been remade twice. 
Oh my. Uh, <laughs> first in Telugu in 1995 under the name Sisindri, and then in Mayala, My, Malayalam in 1999 under the title James Bond. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I can't. Oh. I can't possibly explain that one. Uh, but there are two Indian remakes of Baby's Day Out. Wow. Do you think when they go back and they remake it that the, <laughs> they get a bunch of flack from like the general public being like, we don't want it. Don't mess with the original. It's perfect. <laughs> I would love to know if there was any social protest over the Indian remakes of Baby's Day Out in <laughs> India, the, the pop, the land of where that was popular. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you want to talk about cast? Should I talk about crew a bit? Uh, no, yeah, we can go into cast. Let's talk um, about cast, and then I'll come back to the crew. I think the crew's got, there's some interesting stuff going on there that I think is fun to talk about. Um, but let's talk about the cast. We got a lot of fun stuff going on here. Yeah, the cast is, I mean, just like Space Jam. Space Jam was a huge cast, and so is this. Um, but luckily, there there's a lot more actors here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Trackable people. Yeah. We've got uh, Douglas Barr, who played Sam. and The sheriff. Yes. Yep. And looking at his IMDb, I was like, all right, I have not seen a single thing that he's been in other than this, this movie. He was uh, mostly like a TV actor in the 80s, it looks like. He was in mm-hmm. uh, The Fall Guy, Love Boat, The Wizard. Not the, uh, not the video game movie, but <laughs> right. the show. The TV show The Wizard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was in the entirety of The Fall Guy, it's looking like. He was yeah. in every episode of that show. That's interesting. And, and then you had mentioned uh, earlier, we got Roy O'Dano, played Wrenchmuller, and he's just, you know, a big story, you know, has a big career. Uh, he was in The Right Stuff, The, right stuff. the Outlaw Josie Wales. Moby Dick, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, tons of things. Oh, yeah, it was in two episodes of Twin Peaks. That's another reason mm. why he looks familiar. Ah, he was the judge that comes in, in early in the second season for all you peak nerds. Nice. And then, uh, of course, we've got Ariana Richards, who is probably the most popular person who has ever been sneezed on by a Brachiosaurus. God bless you! <laughs> Uh, she was also in Tremors um, and she doesn't have a long filmography other than like you know Jurassic Park and Tremors but um, I I didn't realize she was in the the music video for Benfold 5's Brick yeah Yeah. I didn't realize that either Uh, she was also I do think it's it's interesting to note she's also in Angus which is another Patrick Reed Johnson Mm -hmm. film and then J.J. Uh, Anderson played Brian, a uh, little duck boy. My and favorite. he doesn't really... Ha- I-, I thought for sure I would have known him from something. Totally. But no. If you look at his filmography, it's like four things total. And the most yep. notable thing I could come up with was student number three and Casper. Yeah. Uh, which is like... that. I mean, it's interesting to me. It must just be that the kid... I would hope that it was just like he kind of lost interest in the acting thing mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, did something else. But I, I thought he was, like, hugely charismatic in his part in uh, yeah. in Spaced Invaders. 
and uh, yeah, he's he's one of the performance highlights for me for sure. Yeah, because you'd think for sure, based off of what you saw here, he would have had more stuff. Totally, he he's he had such a sense of comic timing, like very obviously had like a very good sense of comic timing, and uh, for a kid that young, I feel like that's pretty special. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then we've got Greg uh, Berger, who played uh, Clem Becker. Uh, <laughs> I think just it's probably my favorite character in the movie <laughs> to watch. <laughs> and he's not really a screen actor; he's a voice no. actor. He's been very in, prolific. Yes, a ton of stuff. Um, probably most notable for me is in the uh, the '90s Spider-Man cartoon. He uh, voiced Mysterio and Craven oh. the Hunter. I am Mysterio, and I am putting Spider-Man on notice. That's cool. Yeah, he's uh, also seems to be the voice of Odie for the majority of the past thirty to forty years. And uh, interesting, Grimlock and uh, Transformers. And oh, nice. Tons of other things, but sure. Yeah, I, um, I see three hundred and twenty-one credits on his yeah. IMDb. So, and then uh, I've got Wayne Alexander. Who played Vern? Uh, Vern, the guy dressed as Zorro the whole movie. Yeah, getting uh, somebody I thought would have more of a filmography, and he doesn't have too much. He he's been in a lot of Babylon Five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's so funny in this movie. I think uh, under aside from aside from uh, aside from J.J. Anderson, I I do think that Wayne Alexander is the other like secret comedy sauce in this mm-hmm. movie. In addition to Fred Applegate, who you're probably about to talk about, who's also really funny in this movie, but Wayne Alexander, just like the the weird stuff he does when he's the the Martian robot, and the uh, Captain Bipto, like yes, the, the the cadence and delivery he has as that robot is so good. Yeah, wow. that when that characterization just like changes and switches and like his body and everything, it's it's very good. Also, yeah. as soon as he's introduced, he start he talks like Dracula <laughs> at first. <laughs> yeah, he does. And then, but we're, Sarah and I were both like, but he's dressed like Zorro, and then he's like, I'm Zorro. And I'm like, oh, okay, it he's was just, just doing a it weird, very badly. Yes, <laughs> yeah. first impression there. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, and then we got Fred Applegate, who played Russell. Uh, he was in the the New Heart Show, Night Court, uh, Growing Pains. I don't know. Uh, he was else? He, he is more notable as a Broadway actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was actually a, apparently a big time. I don't know, big big time, but like a very well noted Broadway actor for a number of years. That was his primary gig. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Back when they were going to have Android Lloyd Webber provide the score. Yeah. Uh, and I do have the note. I like this character. He plays the the deputy sheriff character who like, the town has just installed their first off ramp and they've, they've just gotten a sheriff. And, uh, and so they're trying to issue their first speeding ticket. That's what his character is mostly concentrating on. And he clocks the aliens coming in at 3000 miles per hour and goes to give them a ticket. That's how he gets introduced to the aliens. But before that, he's like, He's on the bleeding edge of what what is now considered vlogging. Yeah, I, that uh, was an interesting <laughs> aspect. Where I'm like, wow, this is uh, this is before even cops, right? Totally. Yeah, it's it's a dude in his car, 
with dude in his cop car with the video camera talking to it like he's doing a submission tape for the real world or something. Um, yeah, thought that was really funny. <laughs> Ahead of its time. Totally. And then we've got Patricka Darbo, which, I mean, she's just a character actress who's been in a ton of things, and you, you probably just, like, recognize her voice and face. Yeah, totally. Um, she's the sheep and babe. She was uh, in The Burbs, Days of Our Lives. Uh, I, I noted she was in an episode of The Boys. Not oh. The Boys we're going to watch, but oh. <laughs> another... <laughs> A series called The Boys from the 90s, which was a sitcom starring Ned Beatty and uh, Christopher Maloney. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which I've never heard of this. I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I'm like vaguely interested to watch a sitcom starring Christopher Maloney. Yeah. But probably not all enough to watch what is almost certainly a pretty bad show. Oh, I wonder if I could even, I wonder if it's even piratable. Yeah. Mm. Only six episodes. Yeah, interesting. Um, then we've got Kevin Thompson, who played uh, Basney. And here we're gonna, we start to get into the, uh, the performers in the suits. Mm-hmm. And this guy, we've seen... This is our fourth time coming across <laughs> Kevin Thompson. Because yeah. he played uh, in the Ewok movies. He was uh, an Ewok in those. He was also in Return of the Jedi. Uh, he was in Blade Runner. And he was Mr. Small in Dinosaur City. Yeah, Kevin Thompson. <laughs> um, then we've got Jimmy Briscoe, who played Captain Bipto. And I was looking at his filmography, and not a whole lot that I would recognize him from. He was in an episode of The Weird Al Show, where he played Mippy. Oh, oh, I remember that guy. Uh, and then we've got Tony Cox, um, who... If you've seen him, I mean, you're, people know who this guy is. The um, angry elf from Bad Santa. Yep, angry elf from Bad Santa. He's in, uh, me, myself, and Irene as the limo driver. Uh, mm-hmm. He was one of the dinks in Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. He was also an Ewok in Return of the Jedi, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, I think so. A, a lot of people are in Return of the Jedi. Whoever, whoever was little and like had an agent in the early 80s was an Ewok. Mm-hmm. Um, he what was an, what was another notable uh oh he was one of the stations in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Oh. He was one of the little stations. I don't know if he was ultimately credited because he actually he uh quit. Oh yeah, he is credited. Or no, IMDb says he's uncredited. But yeah, he quit that movie after uh a, an incident where he got hurt. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, it's the it's the shot where They've just arrived back on Earth with death in the stations, and they get in the van and speed away. Director Pete Hewitt told uh, the guy driving the car to, like, really step on it to get this reaction shot of death. Uh, So that shot of death being surprised as the car pulls away very fast is genuine because the car is pulling away very fast. No one told the guys in the station suits who are also in there, which has a bunch of, like, heavy, you know, mechanical stuff in it as well, that that was happening. So, like, Tony Cox went tumbling out of his seat, like, hurt his ribs, really hurt his arm. I don't know if anything was broken, but he was pretty mad and quit. (laughs) Rightfully Uh, so. Yeah, I was going to say justifiably so. Rightfully so. so. Uh, But, yeah, station. 
Uh, and then we've got uh, Debbie Lee Carrington, who played Dr. Ziploc. Uh, <laughs> she's been in a ton of stuff. Oh, she was also in the Ewok movies uh, yep. and Return of the Jedi, Men in Black. And she was in Howard the Duck as uh, additional ducks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Love it. Uh, Tommy Madden played Giggywig. Um, he was in the Swamp Thing. Uh, he was also in <laughs> in the Muppet movie, and is not very PC. But his he's literally credited as One Eyed Midget in the Muppet movie. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got Jeff Winkless, uh, who did the uh, voice for Captain Bipto. Don't really have much else on him. Uh, Bruce Lenoyle played the voice of Pez. He has also worked on a lot of Muppet stuff um, and a lot of Jim Henson productions. He mm-hmm. was uh, in Dinosaurs. He played. Uh, he did the voice for Charlene Sinclair, the daughter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's also. Uh, there's another. There's another Henson alum in the effects crew that I'll. I'll get to. I don't remember who it is right now. But there, there's more Henson stuff going on here, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Alasky did the, the voice for Dr. Ziploc. He was uh, most notable, I found, was the... Uh, oh, no. He's got a lot of stuff. But he was uh, the voice of the Grandpa and Rugrats. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. And he did a bunch of Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, like, throughout the 90s, like, up until now. Um, but not in Space Jam. So that's interesting. Yeah, because Space Jam kind of like they tried to get, I don't know. Yeah, other, there were some issues like, going on with the voice voice acting yeah, in Space Jam. There was some stuff going on there. Uh, Tony Pope did the voice for Giggywig. Did not have really too much info on him. And then uh, Patrick Reed Johnson uh, provided the voice for uh, Commander slash Enforcer Drone. Yeah, so the commander is referring to the character like at the very beginning of the movie when we're mm. in the alien ship and a character is disintegrated in the first three minutes and what I think is like a great visual joke. Uh, but actually, all the voices in that scene, the enforcer drone, the commander, and the two aliens, they're all Patrick Reed Johnson. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he did the voice for all of them in that scene. Uh, and the enforcer drone... I mean, I'm sure you noticed this. We did. We could have pulled a visual that didn't, but like, one million percent in heavily inspired by the Imperial probe droid. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, it is just like, and he admit that's like the first thing he says in the commentary track. It's like, <clears throat> that's not an Imperial probe droid. <laughs> and it's definitely just a thing on a stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great looking thing on a stick, though. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then uh, finally we've got Kirk R. Thatcher, who did the voice for Short Stuff, the tiny little robot. Um, and he's just like a producer, director, writer. He's worked a bunch with Jim Henson Productions. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a creature technician on Return of the Jedi and Gremlins. And uh, some other stuff, which we'll uh, we'll get into. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I it's a it's a wonderful assembly of people. Uh, I think the, all the performances of the aliens are so good, both physically and the voice acting on on those that did have dubbed voices, which I guess is four of them. Uh, 
Kevin Thompson, who played Blasney, the pilot character, uh, he did the voice in addition to performing the suit. Um, and I think uh, Tommy Madden, Giggy Wig, did also. Oh no, Giggy Wig has another voice, Tony Pope with that voice. But maybe it's just Kevin Thompson. But, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, I just think all of that is so weird and funny and yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, so people that, who made the, oh, what do you about, got? I was about to say, and that voice I found endlessly distracting throughout the entire movie. Oh, his his like weird Nicholson thing? Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just like throughout and I thought like alright, eventually this is gonna sink in for me and I'm gonna accept it. But no, the the entire movie I kept being like, uh, it's a Nicholson voice. I thought this was a bad idea. <laughs> Another one is a is a was it a Cagney voice? No, or a Cary Grant voice is one of the other ones. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of like very yeah. They're all very Earth archetypey. Yeah, actor voices. Um, which sure I can understand, but uh, yeah, I it's maybe it's just because like I'm I'm just like I know what that character is, so it wasn't distracting. Isn't distracting for me, mm-hmm. but I get it. Um. So uh, yeah, so. Personnel. Let's talk about personnel a little bit. We do have uh, we do have Patrick Reed Johnson. We talked about Scott Lawrence Alexander co-wrote the movie, and this is the only movie he has a credit on. Uh, he's an old friend of Patrick Reed Johnson, and uh, he was also the art director on this movie. But this is the only movie he's ever done. Um, we talked a bit about David E. Russo, the composer. Uh, James L. Carter was the director of photography. He also, and it's not the most impressive filmography, but just titles that ping for me were Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 3, Destiny Turns on the Radio, which is like this really bad movie from 1995 starring Quentin Tarantino, or co-starring Quentin Tarantino. It's not good. Uh, My Dog Skip, some episodes of Undeclared, and then a lot of CSI, Hawaii Five-O, Castle, and MacGyver. So he's still working. Uh, Like new MacGyver, not not good MacGyver. Um, (laughs) The production designer was a fellow named Anton Tremblay, who is also a production designer on, like, a really great list of films. Uh, Army of Darkness, Return of the Living Dead 3, Leprechaun 2, Progeny, The Devil's Rejects, uh, Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween. He was also the set designer on Killer Clowns from Outer Space and did accessory design on Stargate, which I can only imagine is, like, jewelry and other little fiddly things that Ra was wearing and stuff. Um, But, interestingly, I learned I've worked with that dude. I made, oh, really? I worked on a short film that wound up being called In Her Place in the year 2015 um, that he was the production designer on. And I have vague memories that he was a nice person. But uh, I wish at the time I knew that he had worked on Spaced Invaders and was the production designer on Army of Darkness. Like, oh, my God. Wow, that is crazy. Um, yeah, who, who, was the, who was the lead in that? In that thing, she's a, she's a interest. She's an interesting actress whose name is now eluding me. Um, a girl walks alone home. At, uh, Sheila Vand, that's her name. That she was the lead in that movie, and she was a very nice lady, and I'm glad that she's doing well now. So Anton Tremblay, production designer. Uh, Sanja Milkovic Hayes was the costume designer, and she was also the costume designer on. A lot of things. This is like a heavily abbreviated list, but Blade, Star Trek Insurrection, Mission to Mars, all the Fast and Furious movies, 
going back to the first one and through number 10, which is in the works right now. Triple nice. uh, X, Piranha 3D, Star Trek Beyond, and Captain Marvel. So the lady that was responsible for putting an alien in a Lakers t-shirt now works for Marvel and Fast <laughs> and Furious. Uh, I, I looked at the two editors on this movie, and neither of them have huge editing filmographies. Seth Graven is an old editor, or is an old friend of Patrick Reed Johnson, and a few editors. There's very few other editing credits, but did work on House Four and Revenge of the Nerds Three: The Next Generation. So, and Daniel Gross, the other editor, edited a movie that I know called Slaughterhouse Rock because it has the distinction of being one of two movies that Devo as a band ever did the score for. Um, it's not good. I don't recommend it. Uh, John Knoll, we've talked about at length at this point. Uh, John Criswell uh, was on the animatronics team uh, and was responsible for uh, crafting the aliens themselves. Uh, also did animatronics work on Reanimator and, Be and Bride of Reanimator, Critters 4, Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, Theodore Rex, Master of Disguise, Spy Kids 3D, and this is a guy that's been in-house with Henson for a really long time. Um, an in-house like animatronics tech. And Greg Johnson, also responsible for the alien effects, this is his only credit. Whoa. What? One of the guys responsible for those aliens being as good as they were had, did, did no other movies. Wow. It's baffling to me. You'd think he um, was at least uh, an Adventures in Dinosaur City or something. You would think. <laughs> because would that think was another production that was like... <laughs> yes, exactly. Um... Uh, and these are these are funny. I'm calling out the, these two names because they were called out in the commentary. Greg Aronowitz and Mark Sicoli uh, were both apparently production assistants on the movies, but Aronowitz wound up with the, with uh, three different credits. Actually, he wound up with being credited as costume illustrator, model maker slash prop builder, and matte painter. And Mark Sicoli eventually wound up being credited as uh, second unit uh, camera assistant. But uh, the team in the commentary made sure to call them out specifically because they wanted... You remember that gag when Vern just lifts that giant engine block out of the truck to go put it in the, the big machine he's building? Mm -hmm. uh, these two dudes, Aronowitz and Sicoli, built that engine out of foam core in two days because the art, art department forgot to do it. Whoa. Um, and it was assigned to two PAs who did it in two days, and it looked good. Like, I... Was, I actually was like, how did they do that with this heavy thing? I, I was sold on that effect. Wow. And Stealth Effects did the matte paintings. That's Patrick Reed Johnson and his dad. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the people who made Spaced Invaders. Nice. Okay, so Trek Connections? Yeah. So All right. uh, <laughs> we'll move on into the Trek Connections because... Yeah. There's a lot of them here. Yeah, Ahura appears in this appears in this film, mm -hmm. uh, but not Michelle Nichols. <laughs> right. One of the uh, the extra townspeople, uh, actress named Tanya Williams, was dressed up as uh, as Ahura. Yeah, and they actually they mentioned in the commentary that uh, her character she is uh, build in the opening credits. She's a build actress in the opening credits, but this is the only scene in the movie she's in. Uh, it's because she had a whole subplot where she was uh, dating the radio station DJ who put on War of the Worlds and all that stuff got cut. So, like, there's only this one shot of her in the movie, but she remains, like, one of the top-billed actors in the movie. Wow. Ah, 
Well, she is in briefly she, more than because she's yeah she's at that, she that first one, and then you see her briefly. As you can see, she's she's over the shoulder of our our pal uh, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, there she is. Because <laughs> I, I went to that scene specifically looking for her, hoping that I would get a shot of her with a shotgun, so I could have mm. a, a picture of her with a shotgun. That would be pretty great. <laughs> But I still like that look on his face. So yeah, me too. No, it's a, it's a good frame. <laughs> uh, yeah, and really, there is only one cast member in this film who has any Trek connections at all, and that's Kirk R. Thatcher. And Kirk R. Thatcher, um, he, you know, as we have said, he's got like a bunch of credits with the uh, Jim Henson Company. He also worked as a creature uh, guy on Return of the Jedi. Um, and he narrated a short Treks episode called Ifrain and Dot, uh, which is one of these short Treks that they've been doing. And uh, I watched it. It's pretty amusing. Uh, it cool. takes place on the uh, original Enterprise. You can see in the background of that one shot, we've got uh, Sulu uh, <laughs> getting oh, yeah. a sword fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a yeah, fun maybe little I should short. Watch. Maybe I should uh, watch those. So yeah, he he narrated that, and then he appeared on screen in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, as the punk on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> Playing the uh, song, uh, I Hate You. Which you're listening to now. Yeah. Behind on us. His, on his ghetto blaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the song, I looked it up, um, it's... You know, it's credited as being performed by the Edge of Etiquette. And come to find out, uh, Edge of Etiquette is actually just a name that um, Kirk Thatcher made up because he composed and sung the fil- uh, sung the song himself. <laughs> Which is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, I read I read the same um, the same Memory Alpha article, and I. I liked reading their version of what they did for punk production, which was move all the instruments into the hallway and use the worst equipment that we have to make it sound like a real <laughs> punk recording. And you know what? Mission achieved. It sounds it like it. a real old punk single. So, yeah, uh, also, Kirk Thatcher uh, was Leonard Nimoy's personal assistant yes. uh, for a couple mm-hmm. of Star Trek movies. That's how he wound up in this role in Star Trek IV. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and also as a, an associate producer on it, and in uh, Star Trek Three, which makes right. sense with the, the Nimoy connection. Yep. Um, and then that that wasn't the end for this character. Nope. This character is in the MCU. <laughs> which this I did not know. Oh, I didn't know until today. <laughs> he uh, he reprised the role as the punk in the MCU in Spider-Man: Homecoming. <laughs> He's in the scene where they're like, you're that spider guy on YouTube. Do a flip. <laughs> you're that spider guy on YouTube, right? Call me Spider-Man. Okay, Spider-Man. Do a flip. Yeah. Not bad. Uh, so he is. He, uh, apparently so he was having a meeting with Kevin Feige. And Feige was about to go uh, on, the, on the set of Spider-Man Homecoming. 
And uh, Thatcher said, well, I'm, I'm heading to New York here in a few days. And he's like, oh, my gosh. I, I guess Kevin Feige was a huge fan of the punk character and <laughs> uh, Star Trek Four, and asked if he would want to, uh, to come on the set and play the character again <laughs> while he was there. So they did that. That is so great. Yeah. I love that a lot. Um. You sent over some other good, some other good pictures too. Mm-hmm. We might as well show those. Yeah, while we're in the show and tell portion of the show here, not looking at our faces. Mm-hmm. This is a cool UK promo that you found for Spaced Invaders. Yeah, I thought that looked pretty neat. Yeah, uh, I like the design of this. What is the character's name in the uh, the varsity jacket? Again, the varsity jacket. I think I. Th- that's either Pez or Giggywig. I'm okay. not totally sure. It's either Pez or Giggywig because we oh. have, we have, uh, we have uh, Doctor Ziploc in the middle there. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Blasney to his right, yep. and we have um, Captain Bipto uh, to I think to immediately to the left, and then off to the sides we have um, Pez and Giggywig. Um, See, I would say, and I love that prop. And in, in here, it, it's not illustrated really like it is in the movie. But in the movie, that it's like a communicator prop. And what it is, it's like something, but the antenna that come out of it are just like party blowers. Yeah. That like there <laughs> must be just like a button to inflate them to make it look like they're going up and down and communicating. communicating. But I'm like, that's a great little cheap effect. It, mm-hmm. looks very, it looks very appropriate for like the kind of like tech look that these aliens had. Yeah, it's otherworldly. But it is otherworldly. Just speaking uh, of him, I, I like the fact that he's got the, the E.T. finger going on. He does. Oh, I'm sorry. You were going to that point and I totally trampled you and said a bunch of other crap. I'm trying oh, to get better about that. I've listened to episodes of our podcast. I noticed like, oh, I just trampled something that Travis was going to say. Oh, no, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's my fault for talking so slowly. Nah, it's the faults of the internet lag. But check out this other thing you found, these uh, standees. Yeah, this, this thing is cool, man. I wish I could own these. Angela would never let me have them up in the apartment. That would be <laughs> <laughs> that would not be part of the new decor. Uh, prepare yeah. to laugh, Earth scum. <laughs> yeah, these are for the the rental stores. <laughs> yeah, for the VHS sell through. Um, so Disney made these these standees. That's that's a Disney product. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then you also sent you know me this. What? I oh my oh. gosh! Looking at this now, I I recall seeing uh, the the middle one at my uh, my really? local video rental place because they used to have like a huge wall like covering the the inside where they would just put up like all the movie posters or stand like they would just like it would accumulate and just be like this huge um mural right and i do recall seeing this that's like up on a wall that's pretty awesome amidst all the other ones uh wonder if they pop up on ebay ever uh angela i'm sorry in advance um (laughs) (laughs) and you also sent over this this cool uh behind the scenes shot yeah, um. <laughs> which it just looks like Ariana Richards like went to a wax museum, or is it like <laughs> Universal Studios at on ni- at nineteen ninety? <laughs> it just looks like <laughs> it looks like some kind of uh, yeah, like a family photo. 
Yeah, it does. Um, I think, I mean, did where did you find that? Uh, I just because, found it on the internet. I don't okay, I think it came from, because I, I looked, I was like, where did you dig this up? So I, I looked, and I think it just came from uh, Ariana Richards two years ago posted that, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was the 28th anniversary of my first film, Space Invaders, and posted a handful of shots, of which this was one. Oh, interesting. So, um... Yeah, it might have originated there. Yeah, so Ariana Richards still fondly remembers. Uh, and she is... I haven't watched the rest of the special features on this new Blu-ray yet, but there is a new interview with her on the Blu-ray as well. Um... So, yeah. Now Angela says, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oops. So interesting. Like her, um, we, we mentioned before the Spielberg, you know, you know, liking her so much to put her in Jurassic Park. And I made a joke before we started recording. He's like, because Drew Barrymore was too old. <laughs> and, and I'm you know, sure that's totally correct. Yeah, because she. she performs very similarly to like drew barrymore and et so yeah yeah uh yeah i love this movie um i'm just looking at like other notes i had i made like during Mm -hmm. the course of the movie and a lot of the stuff like i highlighted was just quotes like the the that i thought were funny like the alien ship toward the beginning uh after we cut back to them being basically obliterated and the enforcer drone goes, I have not yet begun to fight. And the alien responds, well, now would be a great time to start. And then they get blown up yeah. immediately following. <laughs> oh, oh there um, are so many good Klembecker lines. I like, <laughs> I like when he does the spit take in his truck. Um, and then he immediately says, clean that up. When he gets to his poor date that's just yeah. in there. She's like trying to clean it with her elbow because she has nothing she has nothing to wipe it down with <laughs> then he's throwing um, the cigarettes at the kids <laughs> <laughs> like he answers the door in costume on Halloween mm-hmm. and there's trick-or-treaters he goes oh I forgot what trick-or-treat yeah I forgot <laughs> hold on <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's one for you one for you plan to go around cigarettes Okay, forget it. Uh, there's also this really funny, these really funny like old people hanging out on their porch, um, and uh, talking about they remember like when War of the Worlds was first broadcast, and um, the wife, the wife makes a remark, and her husband goes, "Oh, would you just die already?" <laughs> <laughs> And because she was making fun of him for taking the original broadcast seriously and like putting buckets on their heads to to ward off alien brain penetration, mm-hmm. and uh, and then when the ship blazes past right before it it uh, crashes into the barn, it whizzes past them, kind of blows them all off to the side of the porch, and then she just goes, "I'll get the bucket." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and of course the. The repeated refrain. Prepare to die, Earth scum. Yep. Pre- prepare to die, Earth scum. Uh, I always thought it was hilarious. To the, and that was a that was part of my vernacular as a child too. Prepare to die. Insert appropriate thing here, scum. And I do remember uh, a a party, a birthday party or something in my house in Pittsburgh when I was a real little kid. You know, probably like 
seven years old, eight years old maybe. And um, one of my cousins was there, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use his real name in the podcast. Uh, but he, like, at one point appeared on the landing of the stairs with my guitar in his hands, which was, I was like, why do you have my guitar? So I shouted, prepare to die, Mark Scum! <laughs> and and got in parent and got in trouble for threatening to kill my cousin. <laughs> um, Prepare to die, Earth scum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a great line from uh, from Brian the Duck character uh, when it's early in his. It's it's when. Uh, Kathy, uh, Ariana Richards is, is explaining what she's figured out, which is that these guys are from Mars. And he's explained to her and he goes to her, I will remind you, I'm just a little boy and I'm very susceptible to nightmares. <laughs> um, yeah. Never mess with a Frisbee champion, he says after taking down Blasney with a trash can lid. Yeah. Uh, I also found it interesting. There's so many uh, things in here that, that come from stuff we've already covered. Like uh, mm -hmm. where the Buffalo Roam from Pet Shop is yeah. the song they sing. That is. Uh, we've got Hulk Hogan <laughs> from Suburban <laughs> We do have Commando. a Hulk Hogan reference from and, Suburban uh, Commando, yeah. Also a Zagnut bar. Yeah. Um, so Zagnut... And this is probably why Zagnut in the other film, too, this is a thing they mentioned in the commentary, that in the script and what they tried to license was a Mars bar, because... Oh, that makes sense. Obviously. Uh, the Mars Candy Company wanted to take six months to do an impact study to figure out if this would be the right thing to associate their brand with. Whoa. And... Uh, the movie team was just like, well, we cannot wait six months to put your candy bar in a movie. What can we license? And they licensed Zagnut pretty immediately. Um, so <laughs> that might be why we see Zagnuts in movies. It might just be like an easy to license yeah. candy bar. Because <laughs> Zagnut is like, <laughs> well, we've got this other movie coming out this year featuring like a small puppet person. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do it. Let's do it, Zagnut. Yeah. Um, Whereas, like, probably the Mars bar was thinking, like, ooh, is this going to be our Reese's Pieces? Right. <laughs> and we, we need to take six months to figure this out. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? Verndroid, away! Uh, as he goes, as he, like, is relinquished of his duties as a enslaved Martian robot, but stays a robot. Mm -hmm. He does not go back to being just the no. regular guy. <laughs> you thought, I thought, I'm like, all right, now he's going to go back to his normal self. But no, he's still, he's still that other guy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of my favorite, this is such a weird joke and it's kind of out of nowhere. I think it's the movie's only poop joke. But like the one of the things in the movie is like, it's a farm town, but the land has all been like really bad for the last couple years and crops haven't been growing. And the ship is struggling to get out to leave. Like, it's been so damaged, it's struggling to take off. And uh, once it's finally in the air, they find that they're too heavy and they have to lighten the load. So what they do is they eject the contents of what's probably the spaceship's septic tank, which drops, like, fluorescent green stuff 
over all the farm fields as they take off, which, of course, Martian poop revitalizes the once unerable farmland in Big Bean, Illinois, turning around the town's fortunes. So they were better for being uh, invaded by the small Martian force. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they get back to space, and they're just happy to be alive. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Some other <laughs> awesome quotes. Uh, yeah. Never tell me the decimal points. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, a lot of this movie is predicated on the fact that the aliens don't understand the concept of dynamite. <laughs> yes. Yes. They, uh, to, in order to entice the enforcer droid away from destroying everything... Like, let us present you with this planet's tri-nitro-toluene award. And it's a stick of dynamite that then goes on to blow up the Enforcer droid. Yep. <laughs> uh, they do, they understand a fantastic amount of things about Earth, but not dynamite. It, it, that kind of stuff is funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in, in terms of, like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> also, this weird quote. The last time I put a cherry bomb under a garbage can, the garbage can didn't make it. I guess somebody up there is watching you. Or I guess somebody up there likes you. Because their plan to blast, like, just put a blast under the alien ship to get it to launch worked. Mm-hmm. Um, which I initially thought was like, uh, it, it, I was like, oh, is, is Wrenchmuller trying to just, like, blow up the ship? Uh, with all this TNC, but no, he was genuinely trying to help, it seemed. Yeah. Um, I also realized I kind of ripped off the Wrenchmuller character in this script that I wrote with Warren a number of years ago for, like, a local crazy old man that had, like, a shed full of dynamite. I didn't realize I ripped off, like, the old guy that on a farm with a shed full of dynamite from this movie, but I guess I did. Well, they're going to be coming after you now. I know, I can smell the lawsuit. <laughs> Um. So yeah, do you have any other any other stray stray notes you got on your pages? No, I don't think so. Now, Rinch Mueller, I thought it was interesting. Uh, he was going to be going in to uh, just to scare uh, Klembecker a little bit with a, a shotgun, which yeah, it was confiscated and then it was figured out. Oh, it wasn't loaded, so it's okay for this loose cannon old man to be walking around threatening people with a gun as long as it's not loaded as long as it's not loaded uh yeah in the in the midwest town full of cowboys mm-hmm. cowboy town um oh boy the ladies are petitioning for us to eat a zagnut bar in the air yeah okay yeah <laughs> i've never had a, i've never had a zagnut no Can you buy a zagnut i think so i, I looked it up <laughs> Uh, its main ingredient is peanut butter and coconut. Oh, I do not like the sound of that. It's not even but... chocolatey. <laughs> it's not. A, it's not the right color. It's the right color. Yeah, That's... I mean, it's not like the color you want a candy bar to look. <laughs> that sounds very upsetting. But perhaps for science, we will do it. Um. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't really have much more to say about this movie. Just, uh, perhaps. Yeah. But, um, (laughs) 
but I I do th I do think it's really funny. I think I still think it's really funny. It's generally uh, a lot of the stuff that we seem to to find fault with in in movies of this vintage, uh, in terms of like um, uh, just insensitivity to humans or women or like whatever that we found in in stuff like Prehysteria and like in Pet Shop and like in. I uh, thought your parents were weird and like these kinds of things. None of this this is a comparatively very nice, very clean little movie, I think. Yeah. Um Yeah, I, I know it's it really, very mild in that regard. Yeah. Uh I think like I was even surprised when like uh when Blasney goes at one point, like, ain't life a bitch. <laughs> I was like, oh, they said that. But uh you know. I guess that's that they got away with that uh, through Touchstone in 1990, but um, I think I think it's a really nice little movie. I think Ebert is completely wrong to have called this movie a waste of time. There is an amazing amount of craft here on display, at the very least, and on top of the craft, it's funny. Mm -hmm. So um, I think if if you haven't seen this movie, check it out. I, I think it's it's a really nice little nugget that generally gets overlooked. And I'm really glad that Kino, like, uh, Kino never does, like, the most amazing job on their restorations. I don't really like the way they digitally treat the, the films that they restore. But the fact that this movie now does have a special edition Blu-ray with a commentary track and a bunch of new interviews with key players, I think is great. And obviously a lot more than we can say for a bunch of the other movies that we've talked about on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Some of which <laughs> you can't even watch. No, can't even watch Adventures in Dinosaur City. That is like the most obscure one. You can't watch sure. Toys. Yeah, I have to believe that Toys, uh, I don't think we talked about this on the show, but uh, there's a rumor going around that um, that soon it will be announced that there will be an adult section of Disney Plus, basically. Mm. Um, that will be uh, pin, like pin password protected. Okay. Um, and that's where content from Touchstone and 20th Century will wind up, not only going forward, but could also be like the actual streaming home of like the Alien franchise and stuff like this. Ah. Um, so yeah, they gotta put that stuff somewhere. Other than has just to be. Hulu. Has to, yeah. So uh, I do hope that, that rumor turns out to be true. That rumor is via uh, Bill Hunt at the Digital Bits, who I've been reading for home video news for like over ten years. I don't like the way the website's laid out, but in terms of like information, can't be beat. Um, he's the guy that broke the story about Disney basically ditching uh, physical media. Um, and I have to believe that Toys would be part of that streaming library if mm -hmm. slash when it launches. Um, and hopefully Spaced Invaders too, man. Yeah. Uh, Spaced Invaders could also be part of that. Although I don't know why it wouldn't be just like part of Disney Plus. I, yeah, I would agree. I don't see why it wouldn't be there either. Um, so thank you for joining me for, for Space Invaders, Travis. I'm glad to kind of send out the proper review section of this season of the show on, on this film. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so... And oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, nope. I was just going to go on to programming notes. Unless you oh, yeah. Go on to, no, I was going to go on to programming notes as well. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, next week is going to be our big review of Bill and Ted Face the Music. If it isn't a wild stallion. We've spent our whole life trying to write the song that will unite the world. 
dude, let's get that song. Let's rock! Bill and Ted face the music. Rated PG-13. Uh, which I'm very excited about. I'm excited to merely reacting to a movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, it'll be fun to not spend a whole afternoon doing research and taking notes on a movie and just to watch the movie and enjoy it and talk about it after. I will have seen it either one or two times by the time we do the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no. Wearing my, my unlicensed Wild Stallions shirt in, in preparation. Next week I'll be wearing one of my licensed Bill and Ted t-shirts. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, Angela and I are going to the drive-in on Saturday to see it. Yeah. Um, uh, are you guys going... Are you guys finding a venue? Or you got to do the the VOD. I mean, probably it's going to be a VOD. Uh, do not Makes know. Sense. We've got like it's local a... theaters opening up. I don't know if they're going to be showing it or not. Um, I wouldn't go inside a theater. Yeah, I would that's only, like all we've got. And I would only I would only go to a drive-in. That'd be like I'm not I'm not going to step foot into a movie theater again until there's a vaccine. Straight up, like, it just sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. No, California has more drive-ins than we do. Yeah, by one. There's one drive-in <laughs> in my area. All the other drive-ins that have sprung up in the wake of the pandemic are all like organizations that rent a parking lot and a screen uh, for when they want to do a drive-in. There's only one like proper drive-in, and that's the Mission Tiki. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong about that. I think I'm right, but Mission Tiki drive-in is where all the events are happening. And also, they they are doing a special kind of like secret premiere screening of Bill and Ted Face the Music that I'm not going to because uh, it's sold out in less than five minutes. Um, but they're doing a double feature of Excellent Adventure followed by a secret film on Thursday night. It's obviously Face the Music. <laughs> the secret <laughs> film is just Bogus Journey. Uh, I would just, I would be so happy. I, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I've gotten to see um, both Bill and Ted movies in uh, Roadhouse screenings on 35mm. I got to see... Um, I got to see Excellent Adventure on 35 at the Oaks Theater in Pittsburgh probably 12 years ago, 11 years ago maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few years ago they did a double feature of Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica with a wonderful Q&A panel of a lot of the cast and, uh, and producer and a lot of, a lot of amazing people. Um, the first movie was a DCP at that screening, but Bogus Journey was on 35 very happy both times they had original trailers attached if i remember correctly i can't remember if it was in front of the print i saw of excellent adventure there was still a trailer for uhf attached or if when i saw uhf on 35 there was a trailer for excellent adventure attached i don't remember which that was but i know i've seen a trailer for the one attached to the other off of the vintage print because they're both released by orion yeah we'd have to look at the release dates ah yes there is uhf was released in july of 89 Hmm. I forget what month Excellent Adventure was. February of '89. Okay, so it was it was a trailer for UHF attached to Excellent Adventure. We figured it out. We figured it out, guys. (laughs) But I'm I'm super 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 psyched. Yes. Uh, I I I am very very excited for this movie. Um, if it's not good. I will be bummed out, but um, I, I think 
it'll be one of those things. I, I am more forgiving of things that I might not like immediately when I know that it's uncompromised. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning, like, I, I know that this is the movie that they wanted to make. I know that this is the movie that the writers wanted to make, that the producer, Scott Krupp, who's been with the franchise since the first movie in development in 1987, 86, um, the, the movie the writers wanted to make, uh, it's a movie Keanu and Alex Winter wanted to make, um, and all those people making these choices... And, and also, like, uh, Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, who wrote the first two movies and who wrote this movie, they wrote this script on, script on spec, uh, the new one. Like, th- these guys work. They don't need to just, like, write a new Bill and Ted movie in the hopes that they can do it. Like, Ed Solomon wrote Men in Black. You could retire off of having written Men in Black. Um, but, like, you know, we have this... They wrote this movie because they wanted this movie to exist. And so, as I believe that... Whatever we get, that's only what Bill and Ted 3 could have ever been. And I'm here for it. Yeah. So yes, that's going to be yeah. uh, next week. And then the following week, uh, you and I and uh, Dustin will be covering season two of The Boys. Pardon my French, those f***ers. I've got the boys together. No. Jonas. Yeah. To do what? Spank the bastards. Yes. Robin. And then. Yeah. Season two premieres in a three episode chunk next Friday, September 4th. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so we're so going to be covering how... the first three episodes. Oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry, are, are you and okay? then it will cool. be released weekly after that. Okay. Uh, I had mentioned to you that I had watched, I had watched the first four episodes of the first season, like just pre-pandemic like right before everything shut down and then pandemic happened and i forgot that i was watching any tv that i enjoyed and didn't pick it back up and then i started watching it again uh last week and went back to episode four to rewatch it to like just kind of reorient myself and holy crap i could not be excited more excited for the second season i liked the first season so much you don't have the fight you never have I liked it a lot, so I'm actually super psyched for the new season. And it's like to like babble about it because like I know. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a brutal show too. It's like devastating. The, the just because we started watching the first episode of season one again last night, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like preparing for like what propels everything forward. Yeah, just immediately, and the um, the one scene that had, had stuck with me. Uh, since watching it the first time through was the the airplane scene in episode mm-hmm. four, which yeah, I had forgotten was in episode four, but like I loved that scene. Oh my gosh, what a scene! Um, terrifying, also it's terrible, heartbreaking. <laughs> uh, but like in the con, like just yeah, just for that kind of a scene, it's like that kind of a scene is very a, like a bold thing to do. Period mm-hmm. in a TV show. In a movie, I would be less surprised by it, but in a TV show, I'm very, very surprised by that scene um, in a very good way, because it is awful. Yeah. It makes you feel very bad. Uh, so yeah, I'm psyched I'm psyched for all the stuff we got coming up. Yeah. Uh, Bunch of Bill and Ted, we're going to talk about it either on Monday or Wednesday. We're not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So stay tuned for, uh, for the schedule, for the programming on that uh, and when to tune in. Yep. And so uh, in the meantime, Alex, where can people find uh, more of you? 
Uh, I am on the Twitter and the Instagram at Alex Brunel. And it's mostly just retweets about the Postal Service and other dumb stuff. But yeah, that's where I live on the internet. Cool. How about you? How about the show? Uh, show you can find at Who Watches Podcast on Twitter, uh, Who Watches Pod on uh, Instagram, or on Facebook, where we stream live every week, as well as on the YouTubes and on Twitch. And you can find an audio version of this podcast. Uh, anywhere you get your podcasts so please listen subscribe and review nice yes please thumbs up us do the things watch us 7,000 times <laughs> do it. like the still very confusing blank check episode but all right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes uh so uh in the meantime stay safe stay sane and stay smiling Release the f***ing Snyder Cut, baby! Hallelujah.